You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. If you could stand to honor the reading of God's Word. If you are visiting with us this morning, uh, we believe that the Bible is authoritative. We believe that it is indeed the Word of God, that I have nothing better to offer you than what's in, in this book We've been doing this sermon series. We're just working through this teaching series on the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. And now we turn our attention to Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 33. This is the word of the Lord. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven or by, or, 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 I'm sorry, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no, anything more. Uh, then this comes from evil. And uh, so you may be seated. So I was thinking about some ways that we make vows and promises, you know, growing up as a kid. Uh, what, what were some of the things that you would say to a friend or even maybe to a parent or a sibling? What are some things that you would say? I'm asking you. You can actually respond. <laughs> um, what would you say? What was that? A pinky, a pinky promise, right? Yeah. What's that? Cross my heart and hope to die. Uh, any others? I, yeah, that, swear to God. Or I swear on my mother's grave, right? Which never made sense to me, right? Uh, I, I was thinking about some of those things. Scout's honor, you know, the reason why, you know, you may have used that phrase, scout's honor, is because of just the, you know, the, the, the integrity of scouts, or what used to be uh, the integrity of scouts. Um, you know, uh, cross my heart, uh, hope to die. You know, where did that come from? It came from somewhere in the ni- early 1900s, where you would, you know, cross your heart, obviously, and uh, kind of say, you know, before Jesus, I am telling you the truth. Kind of like swearing on the Bible, I guess. Uh, and uh, I swear on my mother's gr- grave. I did some digging. <laughs> I was trying to, I was like, where, where did that come from? It sounds very morbid, doesn't it? Like, think about it. I swear on my mother's grave. One, I, I didn't do that because my mom's still alive. Two, uh, some believe that by swearing on your mother's grave, if she, indeed she was dead, her soul was still there. And if you broke your promise, she would go to hell. So, I, I don't, uh, that's kind of morbid. And then pinky swear. I don't know if you know the origins of pinky swearing, but I, I looked it up. And uh, so you'd lock your pinky uh, with another person's pinky. And, and this never went through my mind, you know, but, but basically you would lock your finger with their, with their pinky, or your pinky with their pinky to, to uh, vow that if the one making the promise breaks that promise, the other one will break that person's finger. Yeah, some some are like what? <laughs> yeah, well, it gets worse. Uh, in, in in the late 1800s, some children would do, lock pinkies and do their pinky swear, and this is what they would say: "Pinky, pinky, uh, whoever tells a lie 
will sink down to the bad place and never rise up again. Like, that sounds like a horror story. You know, like, oh my goodness, I'm never using that again. It gets worse. Uh, <laughs> its origin... <laughs> it's, this is a little lighter than, like, last week. Uh, its origins can be traced to the 1600s in Japan and was called... I think I'm pronouncing this correctly, Yubikuri, which literally means finger cut off. So I think you would do a pinky swear thing, and if you broke your promise, the other one would cut your finger off. So uh, now, now you have that whole new reference, point of reference for pinky swearing. Um, yeah, you're like, that's morbid. Uh, it is October, so, you know, you're welcome. All right. So we're going at, we're, we're, we're moving through the Sermon on the Mount, and we come to the fourth, you have heard it was said by Jesus. So I just want to just kind of by, by just refresh your mind a little bit that earlier he said, before he got into the whole you have heard it said statement, he said that unless your righteousness surpasses the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, then, then you, you can never, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then each statement after that, or each paragraph after that, he, made, uh, he makes these statements. You have heard it said long, you know, long ago, but I say to you, and so uh, he addressed anger, uh, he addressed lust, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, he addressed divorce, and now he's addressing oaths. You know, the, the, you know, taking oaths. So what does that, what does that mean? What is, a, what is an oath? Well, oaths are, oaths are part of our, you know, the way we deal with people, right? Um, it can be in the form of a promise. It can be in the form of a vow. Uh, you know, it's, you, you, are, you are vowing or you are swearing that you are trustworthy to to meet the end of your obligation or to, to, to make your promise a reality. Um, you know, when we, when we read through the Bible, vows and oaths were not just given and taken amongst God's people, but God allowed oaths. You know, so in light of what Jesus said here, God, we, we read through the Bible, he allowed oaths. In Numbers chapter 30, verse 2, so that if a man vows to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word, he shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. And then there's, a, there's another place in the Old Testament, um, in Leviticus chapter 19, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. You know, so in the Bible, it seems like God blesses uh, or, or allows the you know, oath-taking God himself made vows and, made, and, t- and took oaths. In, uh, in Genesis chapter 9, we know, you know the, the origin of the rainbow, ironically, is God's covenant with Noah and mankind that he would not flood the earth, he would not destroy the earth again by, with water, but instead uh, we learn from Scripture that he will, he will judge the earth with fire one day. And he made, or he made a vow with Abraham. He vowed to Abraham that, uh, you know, when Abraham, you know, obeyed God, and God said, "Hey, I want you to take your son, your one and only son, 
and I want you to sacrifice his son unto me. Abraham uh, was about to follow through with that. He brought his son on the altar. His son, you know, you know, some of you know the story. His son asked him, Dad, I, I, I see the... I see the wood, I, I see you know, the knife, I see all the stuff, uh, but where is the sacrifice? Um, I think probably nervously was asking his dad, uh, what's going on here? And his dad's like, ah, don't worry about it, God will provide. Uh, I don't know if he said it that way, but he said God will provide, and God did. God provided a sacrifice. He had, he had the, the, the knife ready to end the life of his son and uh, God stopped him and provided a ram in the thicket. That's, that's in Genesis chapter 22. Well, God said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand is on the seashore. You and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, meaning I'm going to bless you. So God made this pledge, this vow to Abraham. And I could go through, through the Bible and, and highlight different things where he has done that. He's, he pledged a redeemer. He said, I will bring a deliverer who will reverse the curse of sin and he will balance the scales of justice. I'm going to do this through a redeemer. I will do it through my son. And... Um, and so what is Jesus saying here in this statement on oaths where he says, do not take an oath? Is he, is he saying that all oaths are bad? Oh, I don't think so. Again, he's addressing something that was happening with the Pharisees and the scribes, or at least they were guilty of it, and I'm sure others are, were guilty of it. We tend to be guilty of it too, and that is just whimsically, half-heartedly making a vow or making a promise and not following through with it. Don't do it. It's what Jesus says. Uh, one theologian who commented on these verses said that the very request for a promise testifies that we are not reliable. Think about that. When you ask somebody to promise you, you are assuming that that person is not reliable and they need something more concrete or something binding. Uh, you, like, you will never pinky swear in the same way again, will you? <laughs> he goes on to say, the very existence of customs such as oaths and promises reveal that, that human life is tainted by deception. And so Jesus says, says here, that, and we'll unpack this, is that, that the Christian, those who follow him, those who belong to his kingdom, should be, that the culture of their heart and the culture of their life is as such that uh, the need for oaths is unnecessary because they're known for being people of character. And so was Jesus against oaths? Some, some oaths he was, he, he was against, other oaths he wasn't. Like if you read Matthew chapter 26, he, Jesus stood, on, he was standing on trial, he was about to be crucified, and the high priest, you know, under, under oath, wanted Jesus to answer him. He said, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of the God, uh, uh, the Son of God. And Jesus didn't correct him. Jesus answered him. He didn't say to him, you know, you're, you're theologically off because he didn't need to. Oaths are okay. <laughs> There's a place for oaths. 
And Jesus answered the high priest, he said, You have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So Jesus was against some oaths, but not all oaths, and even took an oath, and under, under oath gave the answer to the high priest. And there are examples of this all through the New Testament. Um, when it came to the ninth commandment, though, you shall not bear false witness. The Pharisees and the scribes had this elaborate system of, uh, of like being able to make a promise without being uh, obligated to keep that promise. So they developed this whole system, and actually the rabbis developed this whole system that you can say something to somebody in an untruthful way and think that by, by, by using certain language, that would mean that you would, know, that you would not be uh, judged by a holy God for being, you know, for being a jerk, <laughs> for, not, for not being truthful. And this is what Jesus is calling out here. He's calling this kind of behavior out. Like the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they swore by Jerusalem. If they swore by Jerusalem, their vow was not binding. Think about this. But if they swore towards Jerusalem, well, then the vow was binding. Think about how they could just manipulate their, the you know, people that they were talking to. If a person swore by the temple, then the vow was not binding. But if a person swore by the gold of the temple, which was considered sacred, their vow was binding. Uh, in other words, the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, could come off looking really pious and how they carry themselves, can, can, can boast, could boast about how honest they were without really being honest. Again, uh, the theologian Daniel Dorani said this, that the rabbinic teaching perverted the purpose of oaths. Instead of calling on God to assure honesty, Oaths were phrased so to avoid God's punishment when speaking dishonestly. And you know, we kind of do the same thing today, don't we? Like I, we as a species, we as a, as a race, humanity, we, we kind of do the same thing. I mean, now, <laughs> you're, now cell phones, right? Your cell phone is starting to ring off, you know, you get these text messages probably, and you get, you get these calls, these robot calls, about, you know, this politician and that politician, I was watching TV yesterday. I forget what I was watching. We were watching some baking thing. And, and I think there are three or four commercials back-to-back -back about the next politician and why this politician can't be trusted and why that politician can be trusted. I mean, we, this is the, we live in a world that's just dishonest. And, uh, and, and we, we, you know, use these, we color our language in such a way to, to sound like we're being sincere when, when real, in reality we're not. And the scribes and the Pharisees, by twisting the word of God, they thought that they were getting away with being dishonest before God. Jesus said, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, for, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let, let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. What, what is he saying here? He's saying you assume, it is arrogant to assume that, that uh, Jerusalem, you know, if you, if you, if you swear by Jerusalem uh, versus if you swear towards Jerusalem, that somehow God, 
God doesn't see what you're trying to do there. It's arrogant to assume that God doesn't own it all, including your own head. Yeah, I mean, this, this aggravated Jesus. It angered him. In fact, he said later on in Matthew uh, chapter 23, just you know, probably about days or maybe a few weeks before he would be handed over to be crucified, he spoke to the scribes and the Pharisees and he said these words. He said, Woe to you blind guides who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath, you blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has, that, that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. I mean, God owns it all. You know, we're, I, I, I don't know, you, some of you have small little children, and I remember this. I remember with Seth and, and Nathan, that when they were just like this tall, uh, and they, were, they discovered the, the joy of hide-and-go-seek, as they were learning hide-and-go-seek, what, what did they do? They would cover their eyes assuming that because they covered their eyes, mom and dad didn't see them standing right in front of them, right? We do the same thing with God, don't we? We cover our eyes thinking God doesn't see what we're doing. That's what the Pharisees and the scribes were doing. And Jesus is like, that's foolish. That's foolish. You should be, if you are a worshiper of the God of all creation, that that should so shape the culture of your heart that when you give your word you don't need to say i promise cross my heart hope to die pinky swear or scout's honor because your word is enough and to swear by anything is to invoke the name of the one who already owns it <laughs> he owns it he owns all everything and uh and so we kind of behave as, as, as we human beings behave like our children, cover our eyes when God is always present, thinking that he doesn't see what we do or, or know the intention of our hearts or what we're thinking. Which leads me to the final point, and, uh, and that is what, ought to, what kind of people ought we to be? In light of what Jesus says here, what kind of people ought we to be? See, the Pharisees, they, were, they, they developed an, an elaborate thing, scheme, to make sure that they didn't break the ninth commandment. And in doing that, not only were they breaking the ninth commandment, but they're also breaking the third commandment. What is the third commandment? You shall not take the Lord God's name in vain. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. I, I just want to just stew on that for a little bit. In light of, you know, to answer the question, what kind of people are we to be? You know, what does it mean to keep the third commandment? It's because we, we assume 
we assume that uh, the third commandment is only addressing what comes out of our mouth or what we put in print. But it's dealing with so much more than that. I, like, I asked our life group, we met on Friday, they always get a little glimpse or kind of a teaser trailer of the sermon that's coming. Um, but I asked them, I said, is it possible for any other creature except for mankind, humanity, men and women, is it possible for any other creature to break the third commandment? And so we thought that there was a little silence, just like it is now, just they're thinking, okay, well, well, is this a trick question? Uh, no, I said, well, well turn to uh, Genesis chapter 1. So I had them turn to Genesis chapter 1, and I, I said, I just, I just want you to see something here. And he said, let's look at uh, verse 26. And so they did. So, uh, so I don't, the words won't be on the screen. God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There is one creature in all of creation that bears the image of the living God, and that is people, <laughs> You and me and everybody, every other human being born into this world bears the image of the living God. This is why it is impossible for any other creature to break the third commandment. Because everything you do with your body, with what you say, how you behave, how you think, if you do that in such a way to sin against God, you have misused his name. You have taken his name in vain. Have you ever thought about that before? I asked our life group, they're like, no, I never really thought about that. But think about it. Every single human being bears the image of the living God. And how you use your body and how you function and how you behave it either honors the name of God or it misuses or takes his name in vain. To which, you, you know, you, you're reading this, if you're reading this like the way I'm reading this, and then the question should arise, then, then who's innocent? Because I, I know I have used my body in such a way, I've said things in such a way, I've behaved in such a way that I've misused the name of the Lord my God. I've taken his name in vain. I have polluted his name. I have treated his name. That word vain can mean empty or worthless. I've treated his name as though it were worthless. Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, the God who honors his promises, the God who is faithful even when we are faithless. And so you ask yourself, then who's innocent? Well, well no one. And that Jesus, one commentator said, Jesus the teacher in his words, they stand against us. But Jesus the teacher leads us to Jesus the Savior. He leads us to Jesus the Savior. I mean, 
When Jesus calls us to follow him, he calls us out of a world of deception. He calls us out of, a, out of a world of death and out of a world of idolatry to a better way. He calls us to a better way, a way that leads to life. Jesus said uh, of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said of the devil, the devil is a liar from the very beginning. He's been a liar. He's been a murderer from the very beginning. And you used to follow him if you're, if you're a Christian, but as a, if you are a Christian today, you no longer follow him. First Peter, I mean, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 says that. It says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and, and, and we follow the course of this world. We follow the prince of the power of the air. Speaking of the devil, that's, that was what we aligned ourselves with, whether we knew it consciously or not. And Jesus called us out of that. He called us into life. And you remember at the very beginning of the sermon series, he even highlights that in his Beatitudes, in the first three Beatitudes. You were poor in spirit. That's what led you to the cross. You realized you had nothing to offer him. Your hands were empty. There was no righteousness that you could bring to his table to allow you into his heaven, to, to, to warrant him to... To, to make him obligated to forgive you of your sins. That's why we come to him as those who are poor in spirit with empty hands. But we just don't come with empty hands. We come as individuals. If you're a Christian, you came to him as one who was mourning over your sin. You, you may not have understood completely the, ram, the, the ramifications of your sin, but you understood enough to realize, I need a Savior and Jesus Christ is the only one who can remedy my sin problem. I have sinned against the holy God, and I need to be forgiven by him. And to mourn over your sins, I said it last week, to mourn over your sins isn't just to say, I'm sorry, that's just to have hot air come out of your mouth. <laughs> to mourn over your sins is to change is to turn from your sin. And in the case of Jesus, you turn from your sin and you go to the cross of Jesus Christ where all of your sin was paid for by him on that cross. And, and thirdly, that, that when we came to the cross, we, were, we came to the cross not only because we were poor in spirit, not only because we were mourning over our sins, but we were, came to the point where we were uh, done with ourselves. We were undone. You know, we're willing to lay down our will before the will of God the Father. That's what it means to be a Christian. The Sermon on the Mount calls us to a better way. It's the center. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. There is no other option here. There's no, you know, okay, I'm going to believe cognitively, and then maybe later, if I think it, if it fits me, I'll align myself up with what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. You are either in or you are out. And we're told of the Christian in 1 Peter, says uh, this, and the words will be on the screen. Let's read this together, ready? But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. If you're a Christian, that's who you are, brothers and sisters. 
And I, I just want to reiterate to you, I'm, I am your brother. <laughs> I am not, you know, any more than that. When I read these words, I need to hear them just as much as you need to hear them. My heart melts over things that Jesus says here just as much as your heart melts over them. And, and he's called us out of this. And, and, and if you remember, if you've been tracking in this sermon series, when Jesus said, for I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven, that's the point. The point is, our righteousness will never exceed theirs. You, know, you can never be good enough. I can never be good enough. We need a righteousness outside of ourselves. We need one who never violates the, the, the word of God. We need one who never misuses the, the name of God. We need one who keeps the law perfectly. We need one who lived that uh, on our behalf as our representative, being fully God but also being fully man. And we find our righteousness, the only way for our righteousness to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees is to find our righteousness in Jesus Christ. That he is our mediator, that he is our savior, that he, he is our hero. He is our everything. I said that a couple weeks ago, he's not to be treated like a boarding pass. Like we do so often in the church. I said a prayer. Here's my boarding pass. It will get me on the plane of heaven. And then I could throw it away. That's what you do with boarding passes. You, you get it, or you, now it's digital, right? I get it on my watch. You, you get it, get you on the plane, you have a seat, you get off the plane, you throw away the boarding pass. That is not, that is not what it means to follow Jesus. He is either your treasure or he is not. I'm not saying he's perfectly your treasure. I'm just saying that, man, his way is a better way. And, um, and being a Christian involves knowing who he is mentally, cognitively, responding to him with your heart, the seat of your emotions, and following him by laying down your will before his. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And by the way, ushers, you can pass out the communion uh, cup. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so what is Jesus saying here? He's saying that by following him, if you're a Christian, the culture of your life will will change. It will change. And, um, and your character will begin to line up with his. Listen, Christians should be, known, should be the one type of person on planet Earth known for being men and women of character. That when you say you're going to do something, People can assume you're going to do it. And that's what Jesus is saying here now. He's saying, look. He, I mean, he's not saying you can't not to take oaths at all. He said, don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be like the scribes. 
You know, follow my example and let your yes be yes and your no, no. That when you say yes, that should be enough. And when you say no, that should be enough. But, but here's the thing, and, I, and this is what we all should be recognizing right now. We all fall short. We all fall short. I was thinking about this. I, I was reflecting upon this with our life group. You know, uh, our yes is not the yes that it ought to be. For me, anyway. My no is not the no that it ought to be. Um, my life... Uh, doesn't always reflect the character of Jesus' life. Uh, but the, the, the call and what's happening in my life, the call is that you shall be holy for I am holy. That's what God says. You shall be holy for I am holy. And as I follow him day by day, my character and my heart is being molded more and more into, into what he wants for me. It's called sanctification. It's the process of being made holy. doesn't end until after you die. <laughs> uh, it is, the Christian life is a waltz. You know, it does feel that way. But, um, but if you're a Christian, your life is gradually looking more and more like the life of Jesus. And, and, you know, and when we listen to these words in the Sermon on the Mount, it's not that they're, it's not that they're uh, impossible, but they call us to a better way. They call us to a better way. You know, sometimes it's, it's okay to say, I don't know. And to learn the art of saying that to my kids. Um... I remember growing up, one of the most frustrating things for, for me was when I, didn't, uh, when I didn't understand what my mother and father were talking about, my dad would say, when you're 18, we'll tell you. It's like, oh, I'm five. Like, I'm going to remember when I'm, you know, when I'm 18. Oh, dad, by the way, I'm 18 now. <laughs> remember when you told me? Um, or, or when your children, you know, say, dad, uh, can we do this? Or, or mom, can we do that? It's okay to say, I don't know. And, and to be honest about that. Like, I really don't know. Uh, or, or when somebody asks us to enter into a, an agreement, if you don't know, if you can honor that agreement, make sure you let them know. Like, God sees the intention of our heart, and he, and, and he sees what's going on in our mind. And, uh, and, and like I, I alluded to this last week, and I'll, I'll, I'll say it again. Like, at the end of the day, you're not going to stand before your spouse in judgment on that final day. At the end of the day, when you breathe your last breath, you will stand before the God of all creation and you will give an account for every word that has come out of your mouth and every action and deed that you're, that you're responsible for doing. And, um, and to live in light of that day. If you live in light of that day, it will shape, you know, it will shape today. And make today better. Like I said last week, man, if you, if, if you are striving to, if, to make the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, like if you're striving for, to be that kind of person in the context of your marriage, it will not harm your marriage, it will enhance it. And uh, the same is, is true in every facet of your life. If you want to make this, uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount, the model of your life for the way you, you work, and the way you deal with business practices, at, 
it, 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 at the end of the day, it will go better for you. Maybe not with your boss, or maybe not with the person you're doing business dealings with, but it is a wonderful thing to have a clear conscience, is it not? And this is what Jesus calls us to. But, uh, but it, it, the Sermon on the Mount is impossible if you're not a Christian. This is why Jesus died on the cross. He, you know, hours before he was to be betrayed, he said to his disciples, I'm going to die. I'm going to go to a cross, and I'm going to die in your place. You know, I say this often. Jesus lived a life that we could never live, and he died a death that we each deserve. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. And then it goes on to say, For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus said, I'm going to do that for you. That's what he said to his disciples. And he broke the bread and he handed it to them. And he said, Take and eat in remembrance of me. So let's do that. said earlier, Jesus the teacher leads us to Jesus the Savior. And I hope you're seeing that in the Sermon on the Mount. This has been really good for my own heart. Um, I have had multiple conversations with some of you. Uh, some of you, you know, on the, the first Sunday you set foot in Meadowbrook was, was doing this sermon series, and, and that sermon was... Uh, for some reason, addressed that specific area in your life. I, I, I frequently get the, the, I hear the statement, you know, it just seemed like you're speaking directly to me. Uh, I didn't know anything about what was going on in your life. <laughs> uh, but God did. And he does. And he knows what's going on in your life today. And he knows what you're grieving over. And he knows, for those of you who read this, he knows, you know, if you're like, man, I, I want this in my life. He knows that. He sees that. Here, here's what we're promised. If we come to Jesus as Savior, he promises to make us new. But that process of making us new is messy. It's that waltz that I was telling you about. But he will make you new. Positionally, if you're a Christian, you are new before the eyes of God. He sees the perfect righteousness of his son positionally. Practically speaking, that is a messy process. It's a messy process that, is, that, that you're moving forward. If you're a Christian, you're moving forward. And you ought not look like the person you used to look like when you first came to faith in Christ. And when you breathe your last breath, you ought to look much different than you look today. That's called <laughs> sanctification. That is the process of God working in your life. Here, here, before we drink this cup, here's what I want you to hear, and I've said it before. God loves you too much to leave you as you are. 
He loves you too much to leave you as you are. And that's good news, brothers and sisters. Let's take and drink in remembrance of him. If you're here and you don't know who Jesus is, if you've never placed your faith and trust in him, or maybe you're just playing the religious game, show up to church thinking that's enough, and you're hearing something today or you heard something today that you've not heard before, that to be a Christian is one who all of you is required to come to his cross. Not just saying a prayer, although it may include a prayer, but truly coming to him surrendered with empty hands with a heart that's grieves, that grieves over your sin and a will that wants to submit to his will I hope you hear these words that come straight from the scriptures that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave from the dead you will be saved that you don't need to do anything to earn your salvation you just need to come to him and that is enough Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Sermon on the Mount. And thank you for what you're doing in and through Meadowbrook. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.